0: Patriots, and it is Thursday, May 12th in the year 2022, and for those of you on the East Coast, welcome to Friday, though we're not quite there yet. And we are going to dig into some things tonight. I'm just going to tell you up front, I'm going to look at a verse tonight. I'm going to look at Luke 1019, which we have, but I'm going to challenge some views of this. So I'm just going to ask people to listen and open your mind to some possibilities we may not be understanding the full depth of what that verse is. And it's going to challenge, I think, some, which is good, because I think that's what scripture should do. Before we begin, let's make sure you're getting a good night's sleep. And the best place to get a good night's sleep is with the best products out there. And those those come from MyPillow. I'm a great message here from Mike Lindell.
1: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America.
0: MyPillow.com forward slash BARDS. And you can use your promo code there, BARDS, B A R D S. You can also use that BARDS code on MyPillow.com, MyStore.com, and FrankSpeech.com. There's some amazing sales going on right now with this buy one, get one free, including some of the other great sales as they always have. And you can take advantage of those again with your promo code. And if you want to speak to a Patriot Pillow Counselor, call 800-975-2939 800-975-2939 use your promo code bars and they will get you totally hooked up. All right patriots I want to begin tonight with a perspective a little bit here a little different perspective and this is this is, comes from somebody who I'm not even sure what their um what their religious orientation is. And it really doesn't matter. I think they provide an interesting context to a lot of what we're dealing with right now. And it's worth listening to. I'm always very open to hearing people and listening. I'll just be very honest. And I find that this is a very interesting insight into the state of of the world at this moment in time and what We are going through. I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I think it's a very insightful look. So take a listen. This is two minutes and
3: 57 seconds. I think you'll enjoy it. Have you been noticing the craziness that's been happening on this earth over the last two years? If so, here's a perspective that might support you in understanding what the heck is going on. So keep watching. Okay, so over the last two years, we've had, you know, the big one is the global pandemic called COVID. Um, we've had volcanoes erupting, an ocean on fire, you know, talks of mermaids coming to the surface, you know, plus, 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 so many different things. So what the heck is happening? This is what I believe, and if it resonates, great. If it doesn't, great. The Earth is in the process of raising its frequency and raising its vibration. And as it raises its frequency and vibration, the lower densities and lower energies cannot exist in the same realm. Same as oil and water, they cannot mix. As the Earth's vibration increases, it causes the lower, denser energies to be brought to the surface so they can be examined. So they can be, an awareness can be brought to them, so there can be a truth of what's been actually going on. Now with that truth, we can then start making conscious changes in which direction we want to shift things. Just think of all of the information that's been spreading around about anything right now, and all the stuff that you may have learned about politics, about laws, about um, spirituality, about metaphysics, anything. A lot of information going around right now. All this information is getting to the surface so we can get in alignment with our higher self and raise our frequency and vibration because it's with alignment with truth. Now, as this is happening globally, it is also happening individually. Very simply put, By the universal law, as above, so below, as within, so without, as the universe, so the soul. So if it's happening globally, this may seem like chaos on a global scale. You may be experiencing chaos on an individual scale. And this is the same thing as with the earth. As the earth's frequency increases, so does your frequency increase. However, we all have stuck denser energies inside of us. We can call them past traumas, childhood traumas, emotional blockages, anything of that nature. And as our frequency increases, it pulls these denser energies up to the surface and it manifests in our reality so that we can acknowledge it, let it go, and release those denser energies.
0: So like I said, I don't agree with all of that, but I think it has a very insightful look because one of the critical things there is that when we talk about prayer, prayer has the ability to raise frequency, energy, and vibration. And if you've ever looked at the Schumann uh, residence, that's really fascinating because you can match the Schumann resonance with like global prayer events. It's, it's very trackable. And whether you believe that or not, that's, I'm thinking it's like, okay, you know, I'm just giving you a perspective. So you can take it or leave it. But I think it's an interesting point because one of the things I truly believe is that we do have the ability. And I think Christ tells us that when we talk about moving a mountain from here to there, I don't. I think we take that as just kind of a frivolous comment. When he says, peace be still, and he stops the storm, I, we just put that on Christ, and we say, "Oh well, he's, he's God's son, except that that's not exactly true. In this, I mean, in the sense, he's God's son, yes, but his abilities have been said that we can do greater works than he. So I'm really wanting everyone to kind of listen tonight to a perspective on these sorts of things that have been said by Christ and dig into them a little bit differently if we can if he as christ has said in john 14:12 truly truly i say to you the one who believes in me the works that i do he will do also and greater works than these he will do because i am going to the father if you are one that believes that that's somehow a metaphor then i would challenge then what exactly does christ mean because christ doesn't speak in metaphor He's spoken in parables, but these aren't parables. These are direct red-letter language comments. So if we're able to say, if with the faith of a mustard seed, we can move a mountain from here to there, what happens if we have the fear of a mustard seed, which I guarantee the world does? And what would that create other than mass chaos and a completely unraveling of realities around us? One of the things I've remarked at during this entire time, and by the way, fear is not a small word. As we know, it's presented in 350 plus times, depending on the version of the Bible, as the words fear not. So obviously fear is a powerful emotion equal to faith. It's the counterswing. And if you have more fear than faith, what are you doing? Because truly, I I read something today was a fascinating way of looking at our bodies, which was we are not a body with a mind. We are a mind managing a physical temple that God gave us. And I think that's a brilliant way of looking at things. And I think too often we look at our bodies as a cage or a solid entity when in fact it's a temple that we're to manage, but we're much greater than that. And I think these are some very important pieces as we start to put who we are together and understand what our potential is. I want to dig into this Luke ten nineteen, And it's rather fascinating, actually, when I did this. I was having a conversation today with, with um, Brad Cummings, Pastor Brad Cummings. And we were going over Luke ten nineteen, and it struck me this. And it, we had a really good conversation that led to some discoveries, some things to ponder. And it was this, Luke ten nineteen says, behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. So what our discussion was about is what does that actually mean? And what is it referring to? What are snakes and scorpions? And that's a really important question that we don't ask enough because I think we gloss over that as if it's like, we're going to go step on garden pests or something. So I did a little, let's start with Genesis, and this is one, there's other references, but here's a reference in Genesis I want to start with. Genesis 3.14, the Lord said to the serpent, which by other names would be a snake, because you have done this, cursed are you more than, the, than all cattle and more than every beast in the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. In 2 Corinthians 11 13, it says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now, one of the things I have said that has not made people happy, I know by the rash of comments that I get is that during this COVID crisis, people have chosen salvation through a needle rather than salvation through Christ. And I'm going to point to 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 because the symbol of medicine is a serpent. And we find this symbology of the serpent everywhere. It's pervasive. In fact, we can take the symbol of the serpent back to early China, where they were using the symbol of the serpent. And in fact, the Hindus... The serpent is the cosmic serpent of Ananta, Ananta, was their creation god. And then we go on to the Sumerians, who had a Egyptians and Tibetans, who believed that a serpent dwelt in Magan, or what is also known as Egypt, leading theorists to believe that He was Thoth, who formed a mystery school propagating ideas of self-improvement and enlightenment. If you ever want to do a crazy trip down rabbit holes, just start looking up symbology and symbols with serpents, and you will find that the serpent symbols are everywhere, including human cross-hybrids of serpents throughout all ancient world. I'm leading to something, so bear with me. The one thing about the serpent that we're pretty clear on is that the serpent leads is part of an everlasting life. This mythology, the serpent symbolisms is fertility, procreation, wisdom, death, and resurrection. And the serpent was in the garden. So I'm going to ask again, just as a reflection, what did Christ mean? What was he pointing to when he said we had the authority to walk on snakes and scorpions. We see the serpent symbology, the snake symbology all over the Catholic Church. It's in medicine, it's it's everywhere in these sort of religious cults. And it starts to beg the question is if this if there's something more real to it, which I believe there is. We're dealing with something here that's very profound in Scripture, and I don't think we are very willing to look at it. And it's a reference to snakes, and we see the serpent in the garden. And the serpent in the garden is a real entity. Scorpions is another interesting one. And when you dig into scorpions, you discover something very interesting there again. Serket is the scorpion-headed goddess of ancient Egypt. And we know that these people that we're dealing with now worship Egyptian gods all over the place. And Sirkit, as the Egyptian goddess who has a scorpion on her head, was venerated as the protector against venomous creatures, which is quite interesting. But she's also the goddess of medicine, magic, healing, fertility, and, and animals. I'm not so sure that in the, however you want to frame this, I don't take what Christ said as a metaphor or offhanded reference, or reference to some sort of garden pests. In the times of, of old, these sort of worship of gods was extremely real and pervasive. So whether or not you, however you want to manifest their belief, when we get into the ancient scriptures, we find that there are very real examples of statues, of idols, idolatries, Just as there was the idols of idolatries of Baal and Moloch and Baphomet, there was equally other idolatries of other goddesses and gods, and they took the form of serpents and scorpions. And there's a reason, I think there's a reason that the serpent and the scorpion are called out. And whatever they represent in the older ways that we don't necessarily have a full grasp of, they represent key aspects of influence, in my opinion, and demise of humankind. We know that the serpent has the ability, as is said in 2 Corinthians, and that is the ability in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve... By his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of the devotion of Christ. I find that p- statement not only profound, but so apropos to the world that we are currently in. Because there's no denying, and we say it in jest, but there's something much darker here when we find this symbology of the dual-headed serpent around the the sword or whatever it is in, in the the in all of, all of medicine, and we're watching how powerful and deceptive the purity and simplicity of the devotion to Christ was absolutely destroyed by the deception of an institution that's overrun by the serpent. We also look at the scorpion, and when we find this worship today, and though we don't hear much discussed about the scorpion, we the fact that we can find an Egyptian goddess that is literally dedicated to medicine magic healing fertility and animals now begs the question of what exactly the scorpion was now it, you're welcome to take this in any way you want the fact is that these were gods and idols and i'm i think that when we start to go into text and we especially we get into genesis And if you've read the book of Enoch, you'll find that the book of Genesis has references to the book of Enoch, which is really amazing. And we start to look at these scriptures, and I always ask, I always point this out that regardless of how of of the fact that Scripture that in the Bible doesn't include the book of Enoch, I find it fascinating, more than fascinating, that at one point, and I don't know if it still holds as the fact, but the Catholic Church advised and nearly banned the reading of the book of Enoch. which I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. I remember the first time I sat with pastor uh, Travis Graham on this topic, not the first time I sat with him on this topic, he had not read the book of Enoch and I had just finished it and we started talking about it. And as he was sitting at his desk, he began to frantically type on his computer. And I was like, Oh man, what, what did I do? I'm going to get rebuked on something here. And I I literally, I was like, okay, what, what, what's going on? He goes, I had to look up some references. And so he began to pull out the references in Genesis, though he had never read Enoch from what I was discussing with him, linking the stories that I was talking about in Genesis to Enoch. So it's really quite fascinating as an interlocking text. And I realize it's not in the Bible. And I hear very often people kind of rolling their eyes and going like, well, it's not in the Bible. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> God didn't tell you not to read it. Read it if you have time and if you're so inclined. So we, when we start looking at the words that Christ gives us, and this is why I wanted to zero in on this. There's a great deal of power that we're given and authority in this world that I don't think that we are, not only are we not assuming, but we're not trusting. And that's a key part of this for me. In Luke 1019, which I have read probably almost every night or every show, one of the shows every day for the last couple months. And it's because it's so profound to me and yet we are so far from it. And when we're told openly, and we'll take the second part of this, that we have authority over all the power of the enemy, the question is, what does that mean? What exactly does that mean to have the power over all the enemy? And, and so there's a number of things that I begin to reflect on. It's like, okay, so we're constantly praying to God to come fix this or step in and do judgment, and yet that's not what Luke ten nineteen says. Luke ten nineteen tells us that we have authority over the power of the enemy. So then I kind of take it to place of a, of a father and a son. And I ask myself a simple question. If I was a father and I had given my son authority to solve a problem and my son keeps coming back to me and asking me, why don't you fix it? Will you fix it? I'm going to be in a bit of a challenge. Because at a certain point, I'm going to have to intervene if this continues. But the lesson that I'm wanting him to learn is to assume authority and take responsibility. And this is what, when I read Luke ten 19, I'm just kind of breaking down for you the way that I look at this. And I think it's very critical because God has given us, Christ has said to us that we have authority. And yet, amazingly, we don't take it. And if we don't take it, then what is that saying about our duty as God's children and what the authority is he's given? So then we go backwards into this, into the first part of this. Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions. And of course, the first image we come to mind are literally that garden snake and that scorpion, which I don't think anybody looks forward to walking on a snake and walking on a scorpion. It might sting you. The snake might bite you, or it's just going to be just a pain to walk on it overall. What does that mean? And for me, that is part of authority. It means that they, you have complete dominion over this, that there is nothing that they can do that even in spite of the fact that they're in the metaphor of the snake and the metaphor of the scorpion, they are poisonous, but Christ isn't just talking about bugs If he is, then why? I think that's the next question. Why would Christ be specifically talking about snakes and and scorpions? And I'm sure people have explanations, but this isn't. I'm going to give you mine. Because I don't think that that's exactly what he's talking about, especially since the serpent is specifically talked about as not only the deceiver, but was in the garden. So who was the serpent? And obviously we always look to Lucifer and Satan, but what was that? Is the serpent, again, a metaphor for Satan, or is the serpent a real entity? That gets into how you choose to see Scripture, and I'm I'm not going to answer that, but I'm definitely going to leave that for people to consider and to take to prayer. We have a very strange world before us here, in a world that is functioning in ways we have never seen or never understood. And... It is a world that is, we obviously see what we see before us in this plane of visual plane, even though we're told to trust in faith and and walk by faith, not by sight. What we visually see and what we end up visually trusting is what is before us. Yet these same people, the Pope, we have pretty much every one of these Luciferians at one point or another, is part of something related to serpents and snakes. To them, it's much more than just a symbolism. And I think we can agree with that. Because they are, whatever they believe, and I always like to do this, is getting into the head of the enemy. What does the enemy believe in? And the enemy believes in the serpent. The enemy worships the serpent. So, It's not a metaphor for them. It's not a symbol or some ideological symbol. It's viscerally real. As our relationship with Christ is viscerally real. Very real. In fact, it should be. One of the things that absolutely I reject with the Catholic Church as that cult is they pin Christ on the cross. Christ is risen. That's all we're looking at there is a, is a trophy kill every time they put it up, which disgusts me. Equally, when we worship the cross, which I don't, I'm not saying is anything wrong with wearing a cross, but I'm, I'm pointing something out. When we worship the cross, we're not worshiping the risen Christ. We're worshiping the symbol of his death. And it's something I've put a lot to prayer is what does that image of the risen Christ look like? I don't have an answer for you. I'm just telling you giving you some of my inner thoughts tonight because the cross represents the symbol of his, of his crucifixion. We aren't. And in that celebration of risen, I understand that a lot of people see that as because he's not there, but that, that cross is not a positive. What's positive is what we saw when the tomb was opened and he appeared to Mary. And then later to the disciples, that's the risen Christ. And that's the Christ that's in our life. So, again, there is a lot here that I'm just, when we start to look at these scriptures in deeper detail, there's a lot of questions that we're presented with. And I think questions that are important to pray on and questions that are important for us to reflect on. Just as it says in John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, so let's stop right there. The works that I do, what works did Christ do? He stopped a storm. He healed. He released serpents or demons from people's bodies. He walked with, with the devil himself and overcame the challenges. And then he goes on to say, he will also do, referring to us, those that believe in him, and adds this, greater works than these he will do. That is a profound statement, profound. And it's not only a statement, it's a gift. And with all of this, he's giving us the insight into how great we truly are. I think that's, to me, the core of all of this, because so much of what's in our world right now, we're struggling with looking to someone else to fix it. And you hear me talk about this all the time. And it's this constant looking outward to find someone else to fix our problems. We want to find the the politician to fix our problems. We want to find the lawyer to fix our problems. We want to call the police department to fix our problems. We want the military to fix our problems but in these two verses Luke 10:19 and John 14:12 none of that's there it doesn't say call on me and i'll fix it it doesn't say reach to father and he'll fix it in fact what it says is quite to the contrary it says that we have the authority and the power to do so this is to me the great unlocking of the gifts that God gave us. And these gifts are profound because it really unlocks the fact that we are of royal blood and we always have been in the process of years. And in the process of the, the subjugation of the church to a government power, which is really pervasive in our own country's history over the last 100 to 150 years. We see the theology for the pulpit change radically. When we go back to 1700s and we start looking at the sermons that are being given, this was a powerful sermon base in our nation. These are these were sermons that were literally talking not only of accountability to God, but at the basis of so much of the teachings was that there was such a thing as evil, that there was a time that men had to stand up to evil. And that ultimately led to the rise of the black robe regiment. Our country would not exist today had it not been for the fantastic and powerful pastors of the era of the 1700s. And the most amazing part about that statement is that historians almost all agree on that statement which is profound because historians don't agree on much of anything together. That they do. That sort of teachings of scriptures at that point in time were deeply rooted in the role that we had here on this earth, the power that we had as God's children to do the job that he intended us to do to be here, not just to exist but in a certain sense, to expand the kingdom and ensure that that continued very much in the in the tenor of David, or in the tenor of Gideon, or even in the tenor of Joshua. Today, our our theology that comes to us very much centers on pacification, it at unification, at tolerance. And there is part of that in the teachings of Christ, and I get that. But the strong emphasis on this has led to an ability for us not to assume or even take command of the gifts that we've been given through, through powerful scriptures on what we are here to do. Christ knew very well the challenges that each of the disciples were going to face. And those challenges were profound, when you think about what they had to do after he was crucified, that attempt, at the works that they had to do to bypass the, the Roman guards, the sentries, those looking for them, and yet they persisted and they went on and they accomplished great and amazing things. They weren't shy of miracles. They weren't shy of supernatural powers of God entering into the world. Today, we look at that with a, if I say the word supernatural, almost, the, almost universally, people will take a response. It's like, oh, that sounds like new age stuff. Or, oh, just like that piece I played a minute ago, because of some of the wording that he saw, I already saw it on chat. Somebody referenced right away, oh, this sounds like new age stuff. And what did I say at the beginning? I don't agree with everything, but it's important to listen. And yet we don't. We don't listen because we're so conditioned to turn things off that we're not hearing one another when there is some very important messages that we can learn from one another. Christ sat with prostitutes and tax collectors. I reference this all the time as a very important point because that's not a casual language. So. I I'm. Again, as we look back at these two scriptures, Luke ten nineteen and 14, 12, and we dig into them, if we're going to accept that that is what, if you're going to accept it as red letter language, which it is, then Christ is speaking truth, and he's speaking directly. So if Christ is speaking truth and speaking directly, then there's a very literal meaning, and there's also a very nuanced meaning in all of this. But don't ignore the literal meaning. I think that's a very important part of this. Because snakes and scorpions from other religious cults, they're real. And they're gods. Little gods with a little g, but they're their gods. And I don't think that's missed on Christ. And I don't think that was ever intended to be overlooked. Because Walking on snakes and scorpions would be literally crushing the demigods that were challenging our God, the one God, the true God and Father. That to me is an important part of all of this. Equally, when we look at his words that greater works than these he will do, I don't know how you get to that point. I'm not offering a road, a pathway because I think that the pathway to what that means rests with each of us in our intimate relationship with Christ and through Christ to the Father. I think it rests with our relationship in prayer. But what I know is he said it, and he's told us that we can. So if we can, then we should never doubt, because he's telling us how great we are through him. And if we settle on just saying simple things like, as an example, if we simply say in simple actions like, well, you know, I'm, I'm simply going to accept Christ and then my life is good. We haven't even tapped the potential of what we're intended to be. That I truly believe. God did not put us here to mark time. We have a massive mission here on this land and in this earth. And as I close every night with Occupy the Land, Expand the Kingdom, those aren't said lightly. It's all part of the authorities that we're given. This is my belief, my reading of Scripture. I don't take Scripture as marshmallow pew sitting. In the Old Testament, it's truly stories of conflict and war and overcoming and the greatness of what God offers. And when we read the lens of Christ, the idea of always just focusing on his love and healing misses some of the great battles and fights that he has. Overcoming the demons that were in the man, were the, the legions that were sitting within the man. Overcoming the scorn of the people challenging the Pharisees, flipping tables. These were things that were literally putting him on the front line. And when you really look at this, you're looking at the eyes of the world through a front line of one of God's greatest warriors. And even the greatness of his warrior class, when Peter pulls his sword and cuts the ear off the Roman guard or servant, Christ stays his hand and chooses to take the judgment which he knows is coming rather than call on the angels to rain down destruction on them all. That's the highest level of warrior we've ever met. And that level of performance, he's telling us here, greater works than these, he will do. And that is he who believes in him. So I, again, I'm challenging you here to dig, dig a little deeper into what's being given to us here doesn't mean that you will all agree, and I'm okay with that. But I definitely don't think that we've begun to scratch the surface on the gifts that God has given us. And sadly, I, th- I think that's leaving us handicapped in this fight. I've said for since the beginning of this nonsense with COVID that this would end almost in a in a day if people had took the authority, not had, but took the authority that they have naturally to simply defy and say no that's the beginning of assuming the power over the enemy that's just that's a baby step and yet we're not doing it we still shudder at it we still shudder at their words of threat take for example this latest threat of lockdown which is being talked about by Biden it's being talked talked about at the G7 today by the German representative and COVID isn't over. This is far from over. The words are spilling out that this is, if you're comfortable, I'm sorry, but we can't get comfortable because we're far away from COVID of ending this pandemic. Why is that even being circulated? And you hear the comments like, oh, no, it's coming again. No, it's not. Only unless you accept it. Oh, no, lockdowns are coming again. No, they're not. Unless you accept it. We have authority over all of them. This isn't arrogance. This is what God has told us. Because I think if we truly understood what we have been shown and what we are, this is like we are as God's children. That implies something rather profound. And I'm going to extrapolate here just something to think about. That if you are the children of God, aren't you later the inheritors of what God's throne is? I put that to think about. And I don't say that lightly. And God wouldn't love us infinitely if there wasn't something that profound within us. We have a massive responsibility in this life to live fully and to live within him and through Christ always. It's part of us gaining the incredible experience that we need. We are refined through the fires and trials of life. We are not expected to live an easy life. And we have never been expected to live a life that somehow wouldn't have a lurking enemy. That, to me, is extremely clear in 2 Corinthians 11.13. To read it again but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of the devotion of Christ it's there it has been there this this evil that lurks has always been there and so Christ gave us the authorities to deal with it the question is simple do we have the trust in God to do it and do we have the faith both in him and in us that we can that's something to take to prayer let's pray heavenly father we thank you for this time the blessed time to sit here and tonight to reflect very deeply on two amazing passages luke 10:19 and john 14:12 we are truly humbled by all that has been given to us in authorities and insights into the greatness of who we are. And we pray that as we explore this, that you can provide the wisdom to give us the deeper insight as to how you see us living into these beautiful passages. Father, you've it has been told to us, Jesus has shared with us, that we have authority over the power of the enemy, that we can literally walk on snakes and scorpions. Those are profound words spoken by your son. May we assume that strength in this world. And Jesus has also shared with us that as we believe in him, greater works than these he will do. Father, those are profound statements into the gift and blessings that you've given us in our lives. May those, may that again, that wisdom be awakened in our hearts and the strength and a walk in our faith. Guide us in these times, protect us, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Much to consider and an important perspective to consider because if you accept that what is said, I do, that means that There is nothing in this world that should ever be able to overcome us. We are the stewards. And we are supposed to be stewarding this world, in my opinion. We haven't done a very good job thus far. We've allowed others who don't carry that love and light of God in them they don't have the intimacy with Christ in them, quite to the contrary, they do seek the worship of the serpent and these distorted beings like Baal and Baphomet. Remember, this what we're dealing with now is not new. It was what Moses confronted when he came off of Mount Sinai as they resurrected the golden calf. We saw this insanity of we it is seems to be some sort of insanity of sort of like genetic alterations even in the days of Noah these are things that are not new they keep recurring and yet Christ has given us the authority over all of it and he's assured us that we can do greater works than he that's something to think about so keep your head up and your eyes forward never bow to evil never relent always press into the fight This is a great time for prayer to dig deep into scriptures. Ask God for the deeper wisdom that rests within his words. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, fearlessly for just such a time as this. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, hope you have a very blessed evening. I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then... Or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you, and out for now.
4: All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose, reaching out for something. I can see it now I can see. Will stay the same, resting on this faith when your soul answers calls far away.